before they leave, before they can feel perfectly safe for the brave new world. But going back to the little Tavistock idea from World War One and the BBC and the propaganda techniques that it already understood, it simply was using it on a mass scale with radio when radio first came out, and it worked very, very, very well. They came up with novels that they used to do on stage, and they acted out these novels on stage and plays about the, the great hero going off to war and goodbye, darling, and all that kind of stuff, and then returning afterwards as more of a man than he'd been before, and everybody respected him, uh, this great um, server of his country. But when they went onto the radio waves, they upgraded it all and adapted it for mass audiences who had to visualize, because they couldn't see a, a stage play, such to visualize the, the thing. So they, they got expert writers and, and early psychologists and that type of thing so that you could picture the, the hero and the heroine and all those people in your mind, and it works very well. However, TV took over, and it's not good enough yet. Even though we emulate everything on TV, it's not good enough. They're, they're going towards uh, the total control of individuals, right down to the individual. You must be predictable. At the moment, yes, the mass psychology, uh, mass indoctrination works on most people, but not everyone. And that's their problem. It's the few uh, in the group who can still retain the, their thinking powers that they want to target. And that's why they've been picking young children at school, especially males who have leadership qualities, and ask questions. Once you ask questions, they're, they're very inquiring. The teachers now call them nuisances. But uh, now, now, of course, if you ask too many questions, you're hyper or you've got problems of some kind or another, they never stop and think maybe the stuff, that the, the social indoctrination they're being taught at school might just be boring to that particular child. Maybe you can see through the indoctrination process. A lot of them do. So there's always another reason for what's being done, especially scientifically. And it's amazing. Within a, within a generation, we've allowed the children to be drugged, to be drugged by the, the pharmaceutical industries not just that, the parents have been indoctrinated mainly through through the daytime media and their heroes that they watched during the daytime media on talk shows that this is good for their children. It's utterly amazing, utterly amazing that this has happened so quickly through simple indoctrination. Plus you find lots of parents today have no time for their children. Uh, they, they want to be left in peace to play uh, their own particular games and the children are supposed to go off and play their own uh, games. And the parents don't have much time for them, so a child that's always asking questions is now a nuisance. The old, the old thing about being bonded to your children, I think, has been broken for many people for a long, long time. And going back to this war thing, this war, why do so many people just go off and fight wars? And yes, going off to fight a war to save your tribe was a natural survival instinct at one time. But today, uh, it's so easy to get them to go off. They don't even need much persuasion, really, in propaganda. Not much at all. Uh, because they've been trained, the winners in this new brave new world, for the last 15, 16, 20 years even, with the video games, are the guys with the big guns, the Rambos, and the, the camo or the black suits 
and they want to be like them. In those video games, there's no such thing as an emotional winner. Emotion is out the window. It's just brute force uh, that wins the day. And children uh, intuitively go towards the powerful. That which is powerful is what they gravitate to. So they grow up recognizing subconsciously uh, who the winners are in the system. It's like Nancy Tung said, power comes from the barrel of a gun. And the bigger the gun, the better. And they can grow up to be the real G.I. Joes. And they're given a free reign pretty well to go off and kick butt, as they say, which means slaughter people uh, with impunity. That's the sad state of affairs we live in today. Very few question anything. And as I say, the propaganda today is almost minimalistic uh, as compared to what it used to be in wars gone by. Heavy propaganda was laid on in previous times. Daily barrages of utter tripe and nonsense was churned out all day long, every day, by major media. Today you don't need very much at all. They don't really inquire as to why they're overfighting. They just want to go and fight. And then they come home and they bitch and complain as, as to why their countries are fallen, has fallen apart. And then they, come, they, they pick a group that's dominating them or they perceive as dominating them. And they blame them for the domination. The thing is, they never ask themselves if, if they're so easy to control themselves en masse. Perhaps a small minority is a natural order if they're so willing to go off and get slaughtered or fight other people and never benefit from it themselves. But they can't think that far. They've got to blame someone else for their own misfortunes. And that's the world we live in. And behind it all is this great science and the myriad of agencies of MI6, CIA, Mossad, and all the rest of them worldwide that have all merged forces, the KGB. Uh, we even have KGB leaders uh, now running Homeland Security in the U.S., and the generation, like Plato says, that lives through the massive changes where right is wrong and wrong is right and everything's turned upside down are the last ones to even notice. Most people don't even remember what the Cold War was or how evil the supposed KGB was as compared to your own good guys. And here you have KGB agents running their homeland security and ex-Nazis and all the rest of it. But people don't mind as long as they can still continue in a certain amount of freedom and play themselves, go and play and enjoy themselves. It's a sad commentary, however, but it's scientifically run. Everyone's heard of the experiments on shocks that were given in a big experiment in not just one but different universities where they bring in supposed people who would administer the shocks to others they'd see through a glass, other students that were strapped in a chair, and they would have a dial with different levels of shock to administer, and they administered on command of a supervisor. Those experiments were funded by your tax money to try and find out why people obey authority. As long as someone else is telling the one who administers the shocks to increase it and keep doing it, they generally will do as they're told. You displace the blame onto someone else. However, even during these experiments, they find a few 
who seemed to enjoy administering the shocks. Now, the whole point with this was uh, the one who was administering the shocks were, never were told that it was all fake. No real shocks were administered to the person in the chair and the different people that would rotate in and out of those chairs um, were, were, were volunteers who knew they were not going to be shocked. It was all bogus, but they would scream and howl and make it very realistic. The whole point, as I say, is to find out why people obeyed authority, even when it became sadistic and cruel. A book was put out called Obedience to Authority by Stanley Milgram, that's L-M-I-L-G-R-A-M, and it was Harper Torch Books. It goes through the whole experiment from every possible angle in an existential type of viewpoint. Remember, uh, existentialists really have, have no real uh, cry to emotions to deal with. They simply look at the observations, you know, look at the data, uh, look at the types of experiments, tear it apart, find out why it works the way it does. It's like taking a, a, a firearm apart to find out why it works, how it works. Uh, nothing else really matters to them because what they're after are the tools of, of authority and how to use that authority in obedience and get the obedience from your, your victims. And this stuff is passed up the ladder to all the big intelligence agencies who really are behind it all too. Uh, mind control did not begin with MK Ultra. That's a great misperception that somehow it wasn't in vogue uh, such a lie there. From the days of the first mental hospital in England, uh, they were already studying human nature, and even before that. So uh, this kind of information is vital to intelligence agencies uh, who want to control vast amounts, maybe whole countries, nations of people, on behalf of the masters, the dominant minority, as is called at the top. So people should go and read that book, Obedience to Authority, by Stanley Milgram, because it does give you an insight into what you think are the average person, people you, you'd even know, but we go into categories within this particular book. Uh, male and female were sorted out, different age groups too, to find out there's any differences, and they didn't find any difference, even as to the ones who would apply the shocks on command. Uh, they just had a different way of dealing with it. Or, or even displacing the blame. Quite fascinating, really, a study in itself. And I'm sure this, amongst many, many other experiments, this book has been widely read by those in authority at the top. What this kind of book portrays, as I say, is a society that can be manipulated to do anything whatsoever, believe anything whatsoever, by training uh, just like an animal, because uh, that's really how they view the public. And unfortunately, regardless of what we think of ourselves as either as a spiritual being or whatever you want to, uh, however you want to look at it, is irrelevant to those at the top. They only look at what works for them. And they do see us as animals. And unfortunately, regardless of what we think of ourselves or how we think of ourselves, the techniques they use on us are, are very effective, very, very effective. And that goes for people who belong to religions and those who don't. 
it doesn't matter. People of all categories come under the effects of these very precise sciences. I'll be back with more after the following messages.
experiments are built around this notion. When we move to the laboratory, the problem narrows if an experimenter tells a subject to act with increasing severity against another person, under what conditions will the subject comply and under what conditions will he disobey? The laboratory problem is vivid, intense and real. It is not something apart from life but carries to an extreme and very logical conclusion certain trends inherent in the ordinary functioning of the social world. The question arises as to whether there is any connection between what we have studied in the laboratory and the forms of obedience we so deplored in the Nazi epoch. The differences in the two situations are, of course, enormous, yet the difference in scale, numbers, and political context may turn out to be relatively unimportant as long as certain essential features are retained. The essence of obedience consists in the, act, in the fact that a person comes to view himself as the instrument for carrying out another person's wishes, and he therefore no longer regards himself as responsible for his actions. Once this critical shift of viewpoint has occurred in the person, all of the essential features of obedience follow. The adjustment of thought, the freedom to engage in cruel behavior, and the types of justification experienced by the person are essentially similar whether they occur in a psychological laboratory or the control room of an ICBM site. The question of generality, therefore, is not resolved by enumerating all the manifest differences between the psychological laboratory and other situations, but by carefully constructing a situation that captures the essence of obedience, that is, a situation in which a person gives himself over to authority and no longer views himself as the efficient cause of his own actions. And that's also true. Um, uh, you'd be surprised how many people listening now uh, would go along with pretty well any order if someone with all the apparel of authority, especially the military type with all the spaghetti on their caps that they wear and their epaulets and all the rest of it, the regalia that you're taught to, to look up to, commanded you to do something that was really obscene. You'd be surprised how many people you know would instantly follow orders too. Maybe even shoot you if they were told to. This understanding, although they were doing this in a laboratory, was not new. It was not new. This is a low-level experiment, a re-experiment, obviously, because they were doing this type of thing much, much longer ago. In fact, many of the secret societies, uh, just before the French Revolution, and, and some of the people admitted to this and wrote about it, um, they bring, bring in members who were blindfolded and they were told after they promised that they'd do anything they were told by their superior for freedom that the person in front of them who they could reach out and feel uh, was to be killed and that they would swear that they would do it and they were told that it was their brother and if they, but they were given a knife and they're told to stab and if they did it, they were accepted, only to find out, of course, it was a, an animal they'd used. Instead, they substitute an animal at the last minute. But that's the sort of techniques that were used in the 1700s for some of the assassination squads uh, for, for various revolutions. And they do have them. They still have them today, only they don't need all these silly rituals to go through them. You find a lot of psychopaths will join them, and there are psychopaths within society. The problem is most of the ones doing the experimentation on the public, unfortunately, are psychopaths themselves. 
you can see that even with Skinner and the behaviorists, these guys used to take babies and drop them uh, six inches to a foot onto hard tables to watch the reactions quite calmly and scribble down notes in, uh, with their observations, which really fascinated them. Uh, these characters are real strange, almost inhumane. Well, they are inhumane, but almost not human as far as their psychological makeup goes. And Skinner himself invented the Skinner cage where he brought his own daughter up in it for a while uh, where she was put into a confined environment because the whole theory rested on the fact that if you alter a person's environment, you alter their behavior. And unfortunately, once again, uh, they get a lot of power out of a person like Skinner's observations, which they can then use on the public. An example of that is quite simple, the radio and then the television altered the behavior of people. So something in your environment that wasn't there before altered completely your behavior. People used to talk before radio came along, or TV. They used to talk to each other. Strange concept. And they talked about everything that happened in their lives and their, their speculations or their wishes or fantasies and all that kind of stuff, or their own history and their family history. Things that were rather fascinating. But once radio came in and then television uh, suddenly everyone's sitting there all quiet listening to this little speaker blabbing away and the fun little man on the screen and all conversation between people pretty well stopped. Uh, when the TV goes off, the conversation is like Brzezinski said, is, it all comprises of all the info they've just been downloaded with by the television set. That's a, an example of behavior modification through alteration of your immediate environment, something in your environment quite simple really now uh, I'll be back with more of this after the following messages Demand. This is We the People Radio Network. Places like Jonestown, 
they should see who promoted Jones at the beginning. And you find Ronald Reagan uh, gave him permission with some of his followers to go into mental hospitals and work with the patients. You'll see what happened to the followers eventually. And you'll find, too, the CIA's fingerprints were all over uh, the massacre at the end. So much goes on that's so gruesome that it's hard for us to even not just comprehend but accept the proof when we find it. It's abhorrent to real people to know and accept that your own government has agencies specializing in and brutality isn't a, a, a bad enough word for it. Again, in the vocabulary, there's no good or bad. It's only results that matter. But we don't have the vocabulary in this day and age uh, to describe the kind of acts that go on uh, on people across the planet put out by agencies and assassins working for the biggest governments, supposedly the most advanced governments on, on Earth. Uh, it's horrific. It's horrifying to see what's done. And right down, as I say, to even the personal level, when the CIA were involved with the New Age movement, and we've all seen, at least the ones who looked into the, the Canada, the CBC archives, uh, to find the Wendy Mesler shows, where Nick Bigage demonstrated some of the equipment the CIA had and were using back in the 1950s. They could put sounds and thoughts right into your head. And if they could put sounds and thoughts right into your head, who's to say they couldn't affect the visual cortex as well? And I'm sure that went on on a big scale, especially within some of the big centers that were promoted for the whole New Age movement. Some of them were even guaranteed to customers, those who joined some of these classes, they would hear God talking to them. Guaranteed it. And they did because they had the same equipment that Bigage had embedded in the walls. That's why it works, you see. But that's what we know about. And that equipment was so small, an operator could put it in his pocket with the size of a TV remote controller. 1950s technology, only used by the CIA and upper groups in MI6. It had to be solid-state circuitry, micro-circuitry, and that was in the days before people even heard of the transistor radio. We are living, as I say, in different levels of reality. Those with the higher sciences are so far ahead of anything we have knowledge of, and that's why they get away with it, because when we see the effects of something that cannot possibly happen, it only cannot possibly happen because we think we're not that advanced. Your friends... Your relatives and everyone you know would laugh at you. Especially the ones who keep up with the, the scientific magazines. They think that's the latest technology they're being told about. They're full of ridicule you if you suspect or mention that you suspect there's much, much higher sciences. It was the same with Bill Cooper. And Bill Cooper, when he first came out, went around the New Age circuits expounding on the fact that the UFOs were not only here, the aliens were here too, and that they had been for a long time. And I have the old videos of him talking about this. He was a complete believer. And the data that he got came from when he worked in the Navy in intelligence until he went to Area 51 
and realized that they were making those things here. There was advanced science and that he was a dupe. The best dupe or willing fool is someone who truly believes in the cause of what they're doing. And he realized he'd been fed the information deliberately so that he would go around a person who had authority at one time respect for his position as an officer in the the Navy intelligence and the people would believe him. And when he came to that conclusion that he had been used and duped, he turned 180 degrees and spoke out against it and he told the public he was completely wrong. He told them that he'd been fed this information to dupe himself first. He must be believable, therefore you dupe the person first to become a true believer and then uh, your senses don't detect any any lies coming from that person. You, you will believe them. It's much easier to believe them when they themselves believe it. Old technique again. And when he started doing that, that's when he was driven off the road on his motorcycle by a car. That's how he lost his leg. Then he got a visit in the hospital by two men who told him to shut up and not continue on this path of exposing the fact that we're made here. It was very important to convince the public that they came from out there somewhere. So anybody can be made to be a real dupe, and that's what I say. Always question your own experiences, what scientific means could be used to put them there. And I I mean that for myself as, as well. I always question everything. I'll tell people about experiences, but I won't tell them what I thought the cause was, because you put it in a question mark box until you have more data. Without the data, you're simply being a dupe. The fact that we live in a horrific system cannot be denied, though. The more you go into the studies that have been done on society in times of peace and war, it would make you shiver. You wonder if you want to belong to the human race at all. And when you realize where they're going with all of this, which is total, total control, the future truly does look bleak indeed. I get young people writing to me who are in despair when they've woken up to look at a future, people at 19 and 20, uh, look at a future that seems pretty bleak to them. Uh, They can't even communicate with their friends or, or parents anymore. And these young people have woken up. They know what's coming down. They know what will come down. And they can't communicate to others. And they ask you what to do. And it's a hard call to make because the future certainly does look bleak. And I try to remind them that this agenda has taken centuries to build up to this present point. And therefore, any counterforce to it has to also snowball slowly. And so the effects of what we're doing even here tonight might not take shape till 50 or 100 years in the future. That's how you come at this kind of thing. It's an ancient uh, war. It's a war for everything. It's a, it's a war that every tyrant in history has dreamed of winning, and that's total control over the, the minds of people. The closest that was ever it has ever come to before in times gone by was when uh, the big religions had an ignorant population indoctrinated into the reality contained within just their holy books 
they knew nothing else outside those books. They didn't read those books, by the way. It wasn't, remember, until really the 19, early 1900s, late 1800s, that the general population could even get a chance to be taught to read and write. For thousands of years, scribes were the guys in charge of reading and writing. There were many, many kings and queens who hired them to do the reading and writing for them. Kings and queens looked upon that as being a menial task. But the general population were always kept in ignorance through various dark ages in all countries across the planet. And all they knew was their own little Plato's cave, uh, and that contained all the writings or the sayings from their, their priesthoods. And therefore, they were under a great mind control. And science, being as it is a double-edged sword, comes along with technology, and they had to give basic writing and, and reading to the public, which opened Pandora's box. That's where science took over to control us from the priesthoods. Back with more after the following messages. And 
there was a propaganda war for the minds of the public because the psychopathic elite of any country look upon everyone else as part of the masses. You're not an individual, you're part of the masses. So the propaganda is aimed at the masses, the simplicity of the masses. And the elite of the West were terrified at one point, not so much of controlled opposition within Russia, which they did control, but because there were many copycat groups that sprung up thinking it was all real and demanding justice and freedom and all the rest of it. So they had to start organizations which were bigger than the CIA that was supposedly only meant to scrutinize people outside of the country. They needed an internal organization to start really, even above the FBI, they could take track of millions of citizens if need be, and they set up the machinery for complete martial law, which they foresaw using one day. They don't set these things up without, without intent to use them. And when the New American Century Agenda was drafted up in the 90s, published in 92, I think the first time, and then redrafted and rewritten, and put out again in 98, with its wish list of countries to conquer, and the things that must be done, and they get their very wish at the beginning, 2001. Uh, then it all fell into place, and it also showed that every country in the Western world had signed on to the same agenda. That took years of negotiations and planning with high bureaucracies in all those countries, uh, years in advance before 9-11 happened, to make it all happen so, so well. And before I go on to any callers, I'd like to just jump from that last book I was reading, Obedience to Authority, to a book by Carl Jung, who, regardless of whatever people think of them, and he certainly had his own faults too, and his own particular unshakable beliefs. But in the undercovered self, he talks about the character of humanity within the society as he saw it, and how they could also be manipulated and used. He talked about the possibility of uh, psychopathic-type individuals taking over countries and uh, what stood in their way, what would aid that psychopath, what would also stand in their way. And he's talking on page 55 of The Undiscovered Self about this. He says, unless he stands firmly on his own feet, the so-called objective values profit him nothing, individual that is, who's who's recovering, you might say, from their fake indoctrination. I called mental illness and coming out of it. Since they then only serve as a substitute for character and so help suppress his individuality. Naturally, society has an indisputable right to protect itself against arrant subjectivisms. But insofar as society itself is composed of de-individualized persons, very important, society itself is composed of de-individualized persons. The mass is the mass. It is completely the mercy of ruthless individualists that it band together into groups and organizations as much as it likes. It is just this banding together and the resultant extinction of the individual personality that makes it succumb so readily to a dictator. A million zeros joined together do not, unfortunately, add up to one. Ultimately, everything depends on the quality of the individual, but the fatally short-sighted habit of our age is to think only in terms of large numbers and mass organizations. Though one would think that the world had seen more than enough
penetrated very far, and our blindness in this respect is extremely dangerous. People go on blithely organizing and believing in the sovereign remedy of mass action without the least consciousness of the fact that the most powerful organizations can be maintained only by the greatest ruthlessness of their leaders and the cheapest of slogans. Very important part to remember. Curiously enough, the churches too want to avail themselves of mass action in order to cast out the devil with Beelzebub. The very churches whose care is the salvation of the individual soul. They too appear or do not appear to have heard anything of the elementary axiom of mass psychology that the individual becomes morally and spiritually inferior in the mass. And for this reason, they do not burden themselves over much with the real task of helping the individual to achieve a metanoia or a rebirth of the spirit, Dio Consendente. It is unfortunately only too clear that if the individual is not truly regenerated in spirit, society cannot be either. For society is the sum total of individuals in need of redemption. I can therefore see it's only as a delusion when the churches try, as they apparently do, to rope the individual into a social organization. That's what the churches have become. And reduce him, reduce him to a condition of diminished responsibility instead of raising him out of the torpid, mindless mass and making clear to him that he is the one important factor and that the salvation of the world consists in the salvation of the individual soul. It is true that mass meetings parade such ideas before him and seek to impress him by dint of mass suggestion, with the unedifying result that when the intoxication has worn off, the mass man promptly succumbs to another, even more obvious and still louder slogan. His individual relation to God would be an effective shield against these pernicious influences. Did Christ ever call his disciples to him at a mass meeting? Did the feeding of the 5,000 bring him any followers who did not afterwards cry, crucify him? With the rest, when even the rock named Peter showed signs of wavering, are not Jesus and Paul prototypes of those who, trusting their inner experience, have gone their own individual ways, disregarding public opinion? And what he's pointing out here is the fact that we're run by mass movements, mass movements that neglect the individual and they use slogans and mass suggestion, which makes you lose, you drown individually within the mass. You lose that essence that is you, that driving force that is you. It doesn't lift you up. It submerges you into an accepted social organization which again, as we all know, is run by powerful people for control. They work in cahoots with the dominant minority and the bankers and all the rest of them. Well, I'll go to the phones now and we'll see what callers we've got. I think we've got Rick from California on the line. Are you there, Rick? Yes. Uh, hi, Alan. Hello. Um, how are you doing? Not bad. Not bad. I'm, I'm a little bit depressed. Um, I I wanted to share um, or compare some things uh, that that are going on right now with the with the, with the predictive programming. Um, 
Okay, I'll just tell you after the, after the commercial. Yeah, hold on. Okay. But I counter these messages.